Hey, this is Sage from Sage Outcast, and we have a very, very interesting guest. Um, I was able to get on Dr. Antonio Gasefo, and we're going to talk a little bit about Gaza. We're going to talk a little bit about Israel. And we're going to talk a little bit about what some people aren't even talking about, which is the Belt Road Initiative uh, that just happened recently with Putin being the uh, head person, not the head person, the important person on site, I guess. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him down and we're going to talk to him right now. Hey, how's it going, Doc? Hey, Sage, how are you? Yeah, this week, uh, the Israel-Gaza situation is uh, dominating the headlines and it's also distracting attention of all the world leaders, politicians. But meanwhile, the world is still moving on. There's still things happening elsewhere. And I just worry that uh, our intelligence services and our world leaders and our media aren't looking at the other things. The Ukraine war is still going on. Taiwan is still being threatened by China. As you said, there's a Belt and Road Summit, uh, which just ended. And uh, yeah, Putin was the uh, guest of honor in that event. And uh, it's the first time he's traveled to a major, uh, major country since the International Court of Justice issued a warrant for his arrest. And the Taliban was at that event, and it's the first uh, international event where the Taliban has allowed has been allowed to uh, to represent Afghanistan. So I mean that's that's scary, and uh, that's a development that you know affects the global uh, uh, balance of power, and it's something that a lot of people aren't paying attention to because of this guy's Israel situation. Yeah, because I saw that too. Because that's some you know obviously logistics and belt roads something I talked about. But so why don't we do this? Because I uh, I definitely want to talk a little bit on the Israel situation because that's definitely in the news, and that's something I'm not as as well versed into um, as some of the other stuff, but. Let's start here. So basically, in regards to the Gaza and Israel, let's kind of start from the beginning and kind of give a, what's actually what's the problem there that that stemmed this to where we're at now. All right, we'll start from the beginning. In the book of Genesis, <laughs> God right. gives the land of Israel to the Jews. Gotcha. All right. Now, throughout history, there have been uh, Jews living in that region that we call you know uh, Israel today. Uh, there were lots of Jews in Europe before, and but everywhere that they lived in Europe, they were being persecuted. I mean, this over the centuries, you know, mm -hmm. all the way back, all the way back, Renaissance days, you know, Roman days, uh, 19th century, early 20th century, they were being uh, harassed, they were being um, uh, persecuted, killed, relocated, robbed, mistreated in Europe. And uh, some of the horrible ironies of history was that under the czar, they were uh, uh, persecuted in Russia. Uh, then after the Bolshevik Revolution, the communists said, we're going to have religious freedom or, or we're going to have atheism and equality, how, however they framed it. But then they wound up, you know, re repressing the Jews and doing horrible things to Jews. And then uh, some of them went to Poland and then, you know, Germany invaded Poland. And then under the Nazis, of course, they suffered. And then they thought they would be liberated by the Russians. But then the Russians came and did the same things to them. So basically, this is driven over the centuries. It's driven Jews to collect in this place that we call Israel. Uh, Israel became a state after World War II uh, when the UN recognized Israel. The United States was the first country to extend official recognition to Israel 11 minutes after it was officially recognized. It was then recognized by the United States. And that has set the precedent that the U.S. and Israel have had a close relationship ever since. Uh, at one point, uh, I believe my city, New York, I believe we had more Jews than the whole of Israel at one point. Mm -hmm. I believe now we have more Jews than Tel, than Tel Aviv, which is the largest city in Israel. 
Um, a lot of us, uh, so obviously, uh, American Jews tend to support uh, Israel, and then evangelical Christians, Christians that have a more fundamentalist view of of the Bible and of religion, also tend to have uh, a strong support for Israel. So the lobby in the United States supporting Israel is quite quite powerful, and. Over the years, since Israel became a state after World War II, they have been repeatedly attacked by the various Arab neighbors. Um, I, I should say Muslim neighbors, not Arab neighbors, but right. Muslim neighbors. Uh, because uh, uh, keep in mind that Iran is not Arab. Um, uh, they are, they're Persians, but they are Muslim. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. they, you know, they've been attacked over the years. Israel has one of the most powerful, most well-trained, most well-equipped armies in the world. And although they're severely outnumbered, they've managed to uh, stay alive mm. and to keep their territory. Now, in uh, 1967, uh, Israel was attacked by several of its neighbors and during Yom Kippur, it was a, a Jewish holiday. And they not only defeated the invaders, but they managed to control the airspace and in the Middle East for a period of days. And at the end of that time, they took some territory that they felt was important to continuing the security of Israel. And until today, this is considered um, occupied territory or disputed territory because it's not in the original map of Israel. But Israel's argument is we can't give this land back because then Israel will be unsafe. Right. So fast forwarding to what happened on October 7th, um, we have the Palestine, mm -hmm. which... If you were to look on a map, there's two areas that would be considered Palestinian. One is the Gaza Strip and one is the West Bank. Now, the issue is that they are not contiguous. They don't meet. Israel runs through the middle. So a lot of people have proposed since the 60s this two-state solution, they call it, where Israel would recognize Palestine as a state, Palestine would become a country, and then they would just draw a map and, and Israel would agree not to violate it and Palestine would agree not to violate it. And we would just have two countries, they have an Israel and a Palestine. Well, on paper, this sounds like a great idea, but when you look at a map, the problem is that um, the West Bank and Gaza are not contiguous, and Israel is in the middle. So how could they possibly grant independence to these two entities that surround Israel? Now, there's a bunch of other wrinkles in this problem. Another one is that uh, Gaza is ruled by Hamas and uh, the West Bank is ruled by the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Now, both of these organizations have been designated at times over, over, over the last years and decades, have been designated as terrorist organizations. At times, the designation has been removed uh, or removed by some entities, kept by others, added by others, removed by others. So these are two organizations that uh, they're both have been considered terrorist organizations and then yet another wrinkle is that they don't get along, that Hamas opposes the PLO and the PLO opposes Hamas. So the idea that there is a simple solution for peace is just uh, preposterous and misguided. So and then and again, I'm, I'm, so I'm asking questions because I don't know. So I'd like to learn. But I, when, why is Iran funding um, who they're funding in that? Like what what incentive is Iran getting by saying, hey, here's some billions of dollars, allegedly? <laughs> You know, where do they get out of it? Well, Iran is the mortal enemy of Israel. At the same time, though, Iran is uh, Shia uh, Muslim, while the rest of or most of the rest of the, um, the nations in the Middle East are Sunni majority. Right. Um, 
so there's the Sunni Shia divide is almost as big as the hatred towards Israel and the Jews. But Iran hates Israel, hates the Jews, so they fund the PLO, or rather, not the PLO, but they do fund the PLO. But the big funding is for uh, Hamas in Gaza and for Hezbollah in Lebanon. Now, Lebanon, uh, you know, this thing just keeps getting more and more involved, all the layers of this conflict. So Lebanon was the only Christian-majority country in the Middle East through, I believe, the 1960s. You still had a Christian majority. Through about the 1980s, you had a Christian plurality, not quite a majority, but they also uh, are the, the the richer class, the better educated, the more uh, uh, entrepreneurial, and so forth. So they kind of con- they controlled the economy, they controlled uh, the government through the 80s, and then uh, there's just been constant war between uh, Hezbollah and the Christians and, and various factions and the Christians. And the Christians, because they have higher education, because they are Christian, it's easier for them to e-migrate and go to other countries. So uh, when you look at places like Gaza, e- even Israel, which, which officially has uh, uh, religious tolerance, but uh, if you look at uh, the Middle East as a whole, the mm-hmm. Christians have been fleeing, have been e-migrating to other countries. And again, if you, if you are Christian, it's probably a little easier to move to, to Europe or to the States, or you may have relatives there. Um, they tend to be better educated, so it's easier to get visas and things like that to get jobs in a foreign country. Right. Or they're just very, Lebanese is very, very, very entrepreneurial. You know, drop them anywhere, they're going to start a business and, you know, start <laughs> making money. So... They've been fleeing, so the percentage of Christians has been decreasing. But you have this Hezbollah in, in Lebanon that is funded by Iran, and it's an extremely well-funded, uh, well-equipped, well-trained uh, uh, terrorist organization. They received their training from the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps of Iran, and uh, they are a formidable force, and they hate Israel. Yeah, because even um, some of the stuff I was watching was like a Ryan Macbeth is that this attack was probably trained people that were uh, people that were trained by Iran to correct. To yeah. This. yeah, so Iran has this. Uh, it's called the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, and it's a militia, but it's huge. I mean, it's one of the largest fighting forces, and uh, it's a militia which is directly. Uh, they answer directly to the Supreme Leader, who is also the head of the religion, basically, the, the, the religious leader. So um, and they answer directly to him, and they, they, they have a, um, a covenant, they have a document that they follow, and this is very much that, that their purpose is to uh, protect and to enforce Islamic values. And so you know that Iran has very strict uh, Sharia law, and... Um, uh, they have a very uh, restrictive sort of social uh, uh, restrictions on social society there. And a lot of this is enforced by the IRCG, the, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. But they also fight in other countries or train militias in other countries. And then this is where the U.S. comes in. So we have uh, internal conflicts in um, in Syria and uh in, in, in other countries in the Middle East where Iran is backing a particular militia in that country. 
And these militias are attacking Saudi Arabia because Iran also hates Saudi Arabia. Right. So you have a Saudi Arabia-led coalition fighting in these countries, and Saudi Arabia is then backed by the United States, and we provide them with weapons and arms and training and and all sorts of logistics support and, and things like that. So we back the um, Saudi Arabian side, and then Iran is backing uh, militias that are fighting against Saudi Arabia and sometimes attacking Saudi Arabia directly, but uh, often just fighting against Saudi Arabian interests in these other countries, in Yemen and so forth. Yeah, because so, a lot of the stuff's going on, obviously, um, I, I understand it, it, Israel gives a ton of intel and, and you know military aspects, and we exchange intel. Now, obviously, you, everybody spies on everybody, let's be honest, but there's still we're still getting a lot of uh, intel and things from them that they're an ally, right? They're an ally. Right. So I think another question, and I'm just going to throw this one at you, is why do you, uh, some of the stuff that you're watching in, in now on TV and stuff is, and just even yesterday at the Capitol, there is so much pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas, it seems, people cheering for this. I mean, they're on college. I just watched a clip on college campus that they're like, you know, kill the Jews, basically. And I mean, they're, why do you think there's such a separation here uh, in regards to, you know, I mean, this whole thing, right? I mean, it's... It, it, it. It, it's 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 mind boggling. It's it's we, we are literally watching Darwinism in action. Mm. There are liberal Jews in America who are protesting in favor of Palestine. I, that, I, I'm confused. I, <laughs> I mean, I, this is what I'm talking about. It's, it's what is going on, and in, in regards to at least for here, what do you think is going on here that they're? So, let, let let me just be clear on something though about about Hamas. Okay, so. Yes, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And yes, people at the extreme end of the right or the left believe all sorts of crazy nonsense that isn't true. And I'm the first person to say that. So what I do in my work as an analyst is I start by reading the news. Then I go and find the primary source documents and find out what the truth is. Right? Most people don't take that other step. So if these liberals believe that it's somehow U.S. misinformation or it's American misinformation or Israeli misinformation that that Hamas and the Jews cannot live peacefully or that Hamas wants to kill the Jews, let's go to the primary source document. Hamas has a covenant. It's it's effectively their, I don't know if you want to call it their constitution or their declaration, their manifesto, but it's an official document on why Hamas exists. It is divided into, I believe, 36 or 38 articles, mm-hmm. nearly all of which reinforce the idea that Hamas is engaged in a jihad, a holy war, and their goal is to kill all the Jews and to take over Israel and that Israel would no longer exist. Right. And that's, so that is in their stated documents. You can look it up right now. And you I'll know pull what? it. You, you, you know, I was a, I've been a teacher, you know, mm-hmm. 30, 30 years. Okay, class, I want you to now pause the video. Okay. <laughs> I want you to go to Google and look this up. Google it. Hamas Covenant. I believe it's called the... You I'll know what? I'm going to Google. I'm going to set a good example. I got them all fired up now. I got them fired up. And I, I will pull it, and I will definitely put it on screen for everybody, and I'll connect it in down below. It will be in the description so that you can see it on screen. You can download it. You can read it at your leisure. Uh, yeah, it is called the Hamas Covenant. It is actually the name of it. It is the Hamas Covenant. And yeah, you can read it for yourself. I mean, it says right in there that, that right at the top in the, in the preamble, it already says that, you know, they, they want to kill all the Jews and take over Israel. But then you read the rest of the document and it just supports that, that notion. All right. So mm-hmm. negotiation, 
what, what we, yeah, everybody said, well, you, you know, have you tried really talking to Hamas? Have you tried really listening? You know, uh, negotiation, negotiation suggests each side will give a little bit. So should Israel say, you know what? I understand that your goal is to kill all the Jews. What we'll do is we'll agree you can kill some of the Jews and then we'll have peace. Right. Is that, is that what people want? I mean, I don't understand what people think could possibly be negotiated. There is no negotiation. Israel doesn't want to die. This is something that's been handed down, right? It's been handed down for years. It is not something that just just drew up. It's been something that's been handed down for generate, you know, to, to everybody in Hamas. So yeah. it's almost programmed at this point that this is what we're here for. Yes. Okay. I mean, it's the same way that Americans, you know, I, I, I know that John F. Kennedy's inaugural speech is not actually, you know, an official, you know, policy of the, of the U.S. government. Let's say it's, it's, it's not law, but all Americans know that that is our mission. And we accept that, that our mission is to be the shining light unto the, unto the world and, to, to oppose any foe and support any friend, to support the cause of democracy and, and liberty around the world. And, and although you, you could argue that we violate that or, or you could look at U.S. policies and say, oh, that, that policy is not in alignment with our goals. Well, which goals are you, where are those goals coming from? Well, they're coming from this John F. Kennedy inaugural speech. I mean, of course, they predate that. But, but anyway, my, my point is just like what you're saying, it's handed down from generation to generation. You served in the military. I served, well, you served in the Department of Transportation. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, you served in the military. I served in the military. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's why we served. And my parents, you know, my grandparents got on a boat and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little... No, go ahead. Yeah, my, my grandparents got on a boat and came to this country because of that mission. Right. That is the mission. And it's in our, it's in our DNA. It's in our souls. So think about Hamas. What, what is in the DNA? What is in the, the, the minds of those children, second and third generation now? They understand that their mission in life, their country's mission in life, is to kill all the Jews and eliminate Israel. Right, and and I think that here, I don't think. Do you think that it's not just being explained, or or they're just not being educated, or they're just not going over the the history of it? Like I I, we, I stress a lot of critical thinking and common sense, right? Not just hey, that's a good headline. Well, let's critical think this, right? Let's process this. You know, uh, you know, let's let's eliminate the ridiculousness here, and let's go get, let's start to do this. And I just see a lot of people out there, and I was shocked. They actually did. I think nine out of ten people in New York. Um, I, I saw this in a video said that they were, it was okay that what they did in regards to Israel, it was okay. It was justified. I'm sorry. Justified is the word. And I'm thinking to myself, how, what, what, right. at what point, I mean, do things, bad things happen? They do. When we have war, we have conflicts, we have things, but for nine out of 10 people in New York, I believe New York city, to say this, New York is, City, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make that distinction. New yeah. York City, not New York, New York. City, not New York. I'm sorry, yeah, New York City. It was justified. I was actually shocked to hear that. I was shocked to hear that. Yeah, what? Yeah, New York. Uh, New York's a, a, a crazy um, situation, but it actually reflects most of the country, which is that New York City is is very liberal. Uh, New York State is mostly conservative, and I live on Long Island. Oh, great! Now everybody's going to look for my house. I, I live on Long Island, and uh, my county is considered one of the most conservative counties. You know, uh, 
in, in the number of Italian American elected officials and where I live is also very high. But, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you, you have New York City, which is very liberal. And, and ironically, you have Jews in New York City supporting Hamas. Just madness. But we, we, we can, you know, as an economist, I always want to find the primary source data. I want to find the irrefutable data. The irrefutable data says Hamas has as its goal to kill the Jews and kill Israel. How in the world can you support that? How can anybody support that? Do you think, and, and that's not Palestine. There's a separation between Palestine and Hamas. Do you think that they just, they don't, I mean, not that Palestine's, everybody's perfect, but Hamas, they're, they're, do you think they don't understand the separation between, hey, Palestine and Hamas, aren't, this is Hamas that did these attacks. Now, Palestine's supporting them, but... I, I was just shocked for people to say it's okay for a terror, terrorist organization to attack a, uh, one of our allies. I mean, because that's the right. Truth. Well, it's it's very um, it's so complicated because you know even what you just said. You said Hamas is not all of Palestine. Absolutely true, and that is part of the message that the liberals are using. They're saying, look, Hamas did something bad. Don't hold all Palestinians accountable for that. And I'm okay know, with that to a to a to a to a thing. Like obviously, the six year old boy living in Palestine. I'm not blaming him, right? At this point, but at some point, the adults are still adults, right? Right. So, so now we have to. It's hard to determine, but they're still in support of. But my and my point was, it's so bad though that even the terrorist organization people were in support of. Like, this right, is so bad right. that, like I said, I understand that not all Palestine, and I understand there are, like, there's kids and everything else, but this is worse than even Palestine. This was literally a terrorist organization, and people are like, good for them. I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah, and, um, yeah, the, the issue, and then you asked a minute ago, you said, well, you know, do they just not know the history? And the thing is, you know, what I just said to you about John F. Kennedy, about America's mission, about why my, my grandparents came on a boat, and not just my grandparents, but that's the other irony in New York City. What percentage of people in New York City, their grandparents came on a boat? Right. You I, know, yeah. grandparents gave up everything to come there so the kids could have a better life and turn around and hate them and hate everything. The people that came on those boats did not come because they hated Israel or because they wanted oppression in the world or because all the other countries were better, right? <laughs> My grandparents didn't say, you know, all the other countries are better, therefore I'm going to go to New York, right? <laughs> you know, during, during the history of the Berlin Wall, mm -hmm. I, I forgot the number of people that were executed, arrested uh, for trying to escape over the Berlin Wall into West Germany. During the history of the Berlin Wall, not a single person ever tried to break into <laughs> West Germany, uh, East Germany. East Germany, right. You know, you know, how many people are rescued by the Coast Guard? You were in the Coast Guard. Yeah. You would know the numbers. How many people are rescued by the Coast Guard on boats and floating doors and, and, and refrigerator <laughs> lids, lot. whatever the heck they got that floats, trying to get from Cuba to Miami? A lot. A how lot many have ever gone the other way? Right. And a lot you know, it's make not because America is awful that all these people are doing this because America is great. But the problem is the liberal education system tells you the reason there was we had the Declaration of Independence was because we wanted slavery. That's really what they tell these kids. Yeah. So they don't get choked up when they think about uh, you know Nathan Nathan Hale. They don't they don't get choked up when the when when they think about George Washington. 
they spit on it and they say, oh, you know, he's horrible. He represents a system that's horrible. And they don't understand why are these Jews in New York? Why did they come there in the first place? They came there because it was a place where they knew uh, they could have a, a, a fair chance. Right. You know, and, and, and the kids are not being taught this, you know. And, and one of the points in my economics lessons, mm-hmm. I have a quick lesson on America because when 1776, we have the revolution. America becomes the world's first democracy. Mm-hmm. Who is our first president? George Washington. George Washington. And most people, if you say, what is the significance of George Washington? Oh, he was America's first president. Well, no, but I want is. my students to know, and I want the young people I know and the kids that I coach and wrestling and everything else, I want them to know George Washington was not just the American first president. George Washington was the first president in the history of mankind. Mm, yeah, good point. It's a very powerful point. It was the first time in the history of the world that the people chose their own leader. And there were some examples of democracy in the ancient Greek states. There were certain states, Athena, whatever, that had some vestiges of of democracy. And there was a little bit of democracy growing in Britain where they could vote on certain things. And, And shortly after the American Revolution, you know, France has their revolution. But America was the first time that people chose their own leader. I mean, that is amazing. And if you were born a serf, if you were born uh, under some feudal system in Europe, which mm-hmm. most of the world was some type of feudal system where, where there was a king and the king's family, their bloodline, the nobles owned all the land. And if you were born on that land, you worked that land, you could eat the, some of the food that you grew, but you had to give most of it to the king as taxes in exchange for using the land. And there was almost no upward no mobility because really all you could really do was farm during daylight hours and after daylight hours. There was nothing you could do to improve your situation. And then uh, America comes along. And they say, we're going to have this system where it doesn't matter how you're born. It doesn't matter what your bloodline. You can work your way up. And we're going to have uh, free public education. And eventually it's going to become compulsory education. And you're going to put your kids in school. And kids will learn to read and write. And we'll have electricity. And we'll make electricity available to everybody. So when you get home from your long day of work, you can read. Or you could have meetings. Or you could talk. Or you could exchange ideas or you could tinker, or you could make some kind of an invention and sell it. And whatever you sell, you keep. You're going to pay taxes to the government, but you can own the land, you can own the factories of production, you can own your labor, you can sell your labor, and you can move up. And so America winds up developing a middle class. And in Europe, there wasn't one for a long time. The, the closest thing to middle class was the merchant class. Right Now, the merchants were able to sell things and make money. They paid uh, you know, tribute to the king. They were kind of the middle class in Europe. But if you weren't in the merchant class, it was really hard to improve your situation economically. And, of course, a lot of those merchants were Jewish. I mean, I hate to perpetuate a stereotype, but it is true. A lot of the merchant class, the banking class, they were Jewish. And so what happened? It was resentment. The poor people hated them Mm -hmm. because they were well off. And the nobles hated them because although these merchants officially had no political status, they were richer 
very often than the nobles because the right. nobles were like these these when you got down to like the second, third, eighteenth, twenty seventh in line for the crown, they had a title and they had uh, uh, to keep up appearances. They're kind of like Hollywood stars, you know. They they had to throw lavish parties and weddings and things like this. They didn't have the money to do it. So how did they do it? They went and borrowed money from the merchants. Right, and and that's that, that, now you're in my wheelhouse. Merchants actually became very powerful people because of that. They were able to you know eventually get the people they wanted in in because of all this and that. That's that was a huge thing where this merchant, you know, even in uh, in Asia and stuff like that, where they're just merchants bringing in ships and they're on merchant, you know, convoys. And next thing you know, this this guy's richer than than the, than the right. king he's delivering this goods to, right? And and it was because of that they were able to use that money and that you know to sway kings and crown princes to get into power. And this happened a lot in um, in China. There was a, a big merchant that actually swayed the crown, the, the crown prince he wanted into power with the merchant and, and was able to, to lead. And this, and that's where a lot of the anti-Semitism comes from, by the way. Right. Where a lot of it comes from just, just resentment that these people who worked harder, you know, and saved their money and lent their money at interest and things like that, uh, that they became wealthier or they became powerful. So either the nobles would go against them, the locals would go against them, the nobles would use the, the poor people as proxies, you know, to go against you. And so, they fled to Israel. Yeah, and this is because, and let me bring this up too, because this was another point that you know I I, I like getting I like getting the doctor fired up. Um, either way, so another thing that was also brought to me is I, I recently went into um, a, a show on uh, on Rumble called Badlands Badlands Media. So in there. Everybody was basically, you know, we shouldn't go to India. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. And I I came out and I asked a simple question in the chat. If a country was attacked, which country, so if, if a bomb just happens to go out, like which country should we support? Which country should we go in and help if that country was attacked? Which one? And I got so many answers, none. None. Right. And I was, I, it, it, I was literally... I was shocked and it, it was just none. It wasn't, uh, you know, like, well, I don't know if we have the money to go into all these wars because I, I, I phrased it basically just hypothetical. If one country was attacked, which country, what, what's your opinion? I mean, what, and that was about, I mean, obviously 5,000 people didn't answer me, but there was 5,000 people in this, watching this show. Um, and quite a few of them responded that way. Like what's, What's your, your thoughts on that? I mean, just knowing that that's kind of what people are now saying. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's upsetting. The kids are not taught the history in school. They're not taught the mission of the United States, why it's United States. They don't do the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, they, they are not taught that George Washington is a hero. In fact, they're taught the opposite. George Washington is, is a villain. Abraham Lincoln's a, Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves, is somehow a villain, right? Uh, Columbus, worst, worst, you know, human being in history, right? Yeah. If Columbus hadn't discovered the new world, let's say Columbus discovering the new world, and I'm going to use the word discovering, and you could write, you could attack me in the comments all let you want, but I bet most of you aren't willing to get in an MMA cage with me. But, uh, <laughs> oh, just no, like, but uh, I use the term discovery because, yes, uh, uh, you know, allegedly uh, Zheng He was there first, and Chinese sailor, uh, allegedly uh, the Vikings were there first, of course, the Native Americans were here first. But the reason why I use the term discovery is because then Columbus paved the way for colonization by Europe. And the kids are taught that this is a bad thing. And, and yeah, there's a lot of bad things we could say about colonization, but you're here. 
you're here and you know how to read and write. And the statistical likelihood of you being here and knowing how to read and write had it not been for that colonization, you know, it's very close to zero. You know, you know, people forget, like I've been to my grandparents' village in Sicily and I saw how poor it is. And I said, wow, roll the dice. You know, I could have been born here, you know, and I'd be an olive farmer and, uh, and I'd be poor and my family would be poor, you know, and, and this Columbus, this, this colonization of America created Canada, the United States, you know, you know, Brazil, all these countries came from this colonization. And I understand that, that, you know, atrocities were committed against the Native Americans. And certainly we should teach that and remember that in school, but at the end of the day, you wouldn't be here and the space shuttle wouldn't exist and there wouldn't be satellites and we wouldn't be doing a live feed right now if it hadn't been for Columbus and, and for the new world being created. So that's the first answer is, well, no, the American mission is good and we have to support it. And then number two is, should we support other countries? Absolutely. We have allies, we have alliances. The reason why we enjoy the high standard of living that we have is because of the power that America has, and it can't just be economic. And that's that's one of the mistakes that China makes, why China will never supplant the United States, will never displace us, because you have to have diplomatic power, military power, and economic power. You have to have all three. You can't you can't have just one. You can't say, well, we're just gonna trade and make money. It doesn't work that way. You have to have all three. Yeah, and and I, I think another thing is one of the things, and I actually stole this from you, I didn't tell you, but when it came to logistics, like I, I, I constantly struggle on how to explain to people the importance of like logistics and being and having allies. And you explained it um, the simplest way possible. And it was ingenious was, hey, one of the reasons that this town became stronger is they knew they had to build a road to another town. And that, uh, then from that road, they could trade potatoes for apples or whatever. Right. And it's that building of that network, that first step, as simple as building a road made both towns stronger, right? Right. And right. if you just, if you cut the road off, now this town's weaker and if this one's going to be like, well, I'm going to trade with these guys. I'll build a road north now, right? Exactly. And, exactly. and it, it, for me, it was the first, like I could, exp I understood it and I was trying to explain it. But when you, you said that on another show we were on, I'm like, I'm going to use that because that's the simplest way for these people to understand. It's the simplest way. And I just find that now, everybody's because right now everybody's like, we're, we're 80 zillion trillion dollars in debt. We can't afford to do all that. But which, OK, at least that would have been a reason somebody would have thought. But it doesn't. You know what I mean? But they weren't even giving me that. But what do you kind of say to people that says, well, we can't afford to bail out everybody else? Well, OK, so we are definitely in debt and the debt is not good. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, do we, we have a discussion about that. Now, I'm going to step out of my economist. Uh, role for a minute, and I'm just going to be Antonio, the citizen, the private, <laughs> okay. private citizen who who's somewhat emotional. And I'm going to say, oh, if we cut this military spending, they're just going to spend it on something else really stupid that I disagree with. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> okay, so that's part of it. No, but, but 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 if we go back to this military spending again, the reason you have the lifestyle that you have, that we have the standard of living that we have, is because of the culmination of all these things, including the military spending. You just described the situation. You have a town that's poor and a town that's poor. You build a road between them. Suddenly, both towns become middle class. Right. Right. Someone is going to tax that road. Someone is going to come in, right? Because you know the, the Silk Road, the story of the Silk Road, right? And the Turks mm -hmm. said, oh, you have to pay taxes if you're going to pass through here to trade with China, right? right? 
So how do you stop Turkey from doing that? Or how do you stop someone from doing that? You have to have an army. Mm -hmm. And your army has to protect your trading routes. So you have to have, you have to have everything. And that's why Britain was so unbelievably powerful. Holland, Holland has a population of like my neighborhood. Right? <laughs> Holland, Holland has a population that's, I believe, smaller than New York State. And uh, look how extensive their empire was. And it was because it was largely based on trading, but they were protecting it militarily. And the reason that Britain was able to eclipse them was because Britain had a better military. And it's, it's a whole, when you use the term military industrial complex, this term is always used in a negative way. Yes. But uh, that, that is, that is what it is. And that's how they became so wealthy. I mean, you had the, they, and they privatized it, you know, the British East India company, the, um, the, the Dutch East India company, it's basically private military slash trade companies, you know, that, that were given uh, the right to trade in certain places and they protected it with their military. And, and, and I do a lot, um, cause I know you do China cause I, I was like, we're going to go to that too, but I do a lot with Korea and, and the, cause I, I was always fascinated, um, about Korea. Like we actually flew someone in to teach for my wife to learn Korean and, and I wanted to learn a bunch, but some of their prime ministers and some of their merchants had stronger militaries <laughs> than the King's military. You know what I mean? Because, right, 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 and, yes. and, and this was a big factor that the King would have to actually go in and say, Hey, I need your military. And then they say, well, you have to buy this and you have to buy this. And this was part of that, you know, like I said, that trade and that. So the, I, I sometimes, a couple of things are constantly being used that drive me insane. One, everything is a PSYOP. Everything on the planet's a PSYOP. Right. Everything, course, is, everything is misinformation. Yeah, everything is right. And then, of course, uh, the military you know, complex. But that military complex is a structure of control to allow free things to move. Right. right. You don't have. And like our Navy right now does freedom of navigation without freedom of navigation. China could say you're not going through and they would, you know, uh, without the yes. Coast Guard having memorandums that they protect fishing for countries who don't have Coast Guards. China would outfish them. They would just steal their yes. fish. And it's that that is also a part of our military complex that's allowing us to get goods across the sea. And right, and not just for us, and also for our allies, for our partners, for the world. And that's the other thing. The U.S. does not discriminate. So we we control in the South, South China Sea, uh, you know, and, and in the Indo-Pacific, the U.S. is the dominant uh, military power, and it's to prevent China from restricting freedom of navigation. However, we don't say, oh, you know, if Iran sends a ship or if someone sends a ship who we don't like, you know, that will stop it. No, everyone has freedom of navigation. Right. Everyone. China has freedom. Everyone has freedom. And that's, the US yeah, and, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, that that's something that allows other countries to be able to survive, to survive yeah. as, a, <laughs> and you know what I mean, for food and stuff. And that's a portion of it. So, well, part of, you know, you know, they say soft times make weak men and, and these kids, the, the, the liberals that believe that America is horrible and that all the other countries are better, you know, their grandparents know that it's not because right. they suffered, you right. know, and, 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 and the people who suffered know. That this is the greatest country on earth. I'm in America right now. Now I've lived outside the United States for the last 22 years, and I spent four years of the 90s uh, outside because so I've lived 26 years outside the United States. I came back. I was going to stay for a couple of months. I've been here since May. So yeah. what is that? Five five months already. It's going mm -hmm. on six months, and I'm probably not leaving again for a while because I came home and I went. This country is just so awesome. <laughs> compared to every other country. I mean, people just look at look at the picture 
in the back of me right now. Okay. This is not, that's not a CGI. Right. That's, and that's, as an American, you go, okay, what, what's the big deal? You got a fireplace, there's a bookshelf, there's a, there's a shelf over the fireplace. You know, you know how few people in the rest of the world even have a fireplace in their house? Right. And, and a shelf? <laughs> and, <laughs> Who are you, the king of Romania? <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. This right. is insane. Well, I, I, you're living in another country, right? Yeah. And you do your laundry, and I don't care where that country is. You know, Europe, Asia, you do your laundry, you come into your bedroom, you want to um, iron, but you got to put the other clothes on something while you're ironing. There are no horizontal spaces. This is what we call them in the military. Horizontal spaces, right. yep. that shelf, yep. the bookshelf. Like, you don't have like 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 bookshelves yeah. everywhere. You don't have shelves everywhere. You don't have a hearth. What the hell is a hearth? You have something that burns stuff if you're in a country where you heat your house by burning stuff. Right. Right. Like like in Mongolia where I've been living, you, you can't rest anything on it. It'll catch fire. You know, yeah. I mean something that stupid. Those 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 matching lamps that are built into the wall. You don't have that in another country. You see this suit? It's not my only clothing. <laughs> I have other clothing. <laughs> like I, it, it's madness. Even when I lived in Europe, even Germany, which is the richest country in Europe, you know, you know, when you go to people's houses, they don't have First of all, there's no built-in closets. You have a freestanding, you know, cupboard where you hang your clothes, and they literally have like their other outfit in there. And and like men working in an office might wear the same shirt every day, or they have two shirts, two ties. They don't have a whole clothing, you know, whole, you know, choices. Like I have, I came back to America. I've had to buy so much clothing because you have fall clothing, spring clothing, you have right. casual, semi-casual. You know, your suit. You don't have that in any other country. You know. You just, people just don't have the things that we have. Right. Every American, 16 years old and over, you just assume that they have a car. Whereas a lot of Europe and Asia, you still have the family car right. or two cars. Or bicycles. You know, people don't realize <laughs> how well off we are. The average American salary is $70,000 a year. Right? Yeah. In Germany, it's thirty-three. Yeah, and, and I've been to Germany. Like in 1994, uh, we had an exchange program, and uh, they came here, and then I was one of them that went over to Germany. And refrigerating liquids, refrigerating sodas, refrigerating stuff, I'm like, why isn't any of your stuff refrigerated? Right. Where is your refrigerated drinks? <laughs> but it's right. not because they, don't, they didn't want to pay for the refrigeration, and it wasn't going to go bad by staying out, so they just did. It's the simple things that – that shocked me. That was back again in 1994. Yeah. Not refrigerating sodas, right? Right, some type of. Or, or, I'm like, none of this is refrigerated. Well, no, we don't. Yeah. We we're not going to pay for that. We can't afford the electricity and all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't know if I've ever drinking a warm drink before that wasn't supposed to be warm. <laughs> you know, at that yeah. because and in winter you keep the milk out on the balcony. Correct. Just, it's cold outside. Keep the milk in the balcony. Correct. Why do you put it in the fridge? Exactly, yeah. and and so that was a big, just a little stuff. And I know it sounds weird, but to me it was like you know, for me, I'm I was always been like soda's cold. We put it in the refrigerator. I did right. not like drinking warm pop, right? warm soda. But from there, it was it was just just those simple things you don't think about until yeah, you're don't, there. Realize. And I'm like, oh, you realize how rich we are. The idea of end tables. How is an end table? <laughs> an ottoman. Right. You know, a footstool. I mean, you go in. First of all, most of the most of Asia mm -hmm. and, and a lot of Europe. I don't know if it's most, but a lot. People live in apartments for their whole life. Yeah. 
you see, take the average American, like, like, like my other home state is Tennessee. I grew up half, half, half my life in Tennessee, you know, in, in the Appalachians and, uh, you know, in a poor place, you know, Bristol, Sullivan County, Tennessee. And, um, the average income in the biggest city uh, that we border on is Johnson city, Tennessee. And the average income in Johnson city, Tennessee is $40,000 a year. So it is, you know, 30% or, or, or you know, uh, 30 to 50% less than the average American salary, right? So people are still poor there. And yet, all my friends live in freestanding houses. They have one car per, you know, family member. That that house has land around it. Um, they have a basement, maybe. They may or may not have a basement. They may or may not have a garage. They may or may not, but they'll have a shed in the back. Like, like so, and why do you have a shed? Well, because you're storing things you're not using. Right. You have so many things we have to store them, you know. And like in, in, in Europe, like I know it, like you 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 have to be the, the richest guy, like the guy who owns the bank might <laughs> might have that, you know. And, and, I, and there is stuff like some areas of Saudi Arabia, obviously oil and that because they, they're oil people, and then there's some of like Dubai, it has some rich areas, but once you're out of you know the central cities, it starts to drift boom, quickly. Like even yeah. Beijing, let's say, compared to or Seoul, Korea, compared to the outskirts of, of Korea, it's a huge drop. So even if you are in that upper class, like, like you said, it's not the middle. The middle class is barely there. It's usually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? I'm using hyperbole when I say nobody has that. But what I can say uh, almost definitively and provable, you know, through through statistics would be that the middle class is in oh, those countries right. does not live like that. So like the middle class in most of the world does not live as well as my friends in the Appalachian mountains, Correct. which is considered one of the poorer parts of the United States. Yeah. So, and, and I, I, I just want to make, cause we're going to get a bunch of comments. Well, wait a minute. I'm, listen, listen, we're, we're, we're trying to drive home a point here, guys. Okay? Right, right. <laughs> but a little it's, bit of hyperbole. Yeah. Right. And, but it is, and this is the stuff I don't, I just don't think, I don't think people understand it. And this will kind of roll in. I want to roll into a little bit in regards to China, because in regards to China here, I own a home on property. Right. I pay property right. taxes now. OK, but I, it's it's my house on 11 acres and a house and it's mine. Right. It's, you, know, you don't get that in China. No, you don't get 11 oh acres goodness, of no. property on, no. in a house in China. That's still the government doesn't say, well, that's still my land. You're 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 just. All right, so I'm going to head off. I'm going to head off a negative comment that's going to definitely appear. Okay. And it's going to appear anyway, even though I headed it off. Uh, there's something called purchasing power parity, which says the average income in the United States is seventy thousand dollars. The yeah. average income in China is twelve thousand. Okay. Right. So my point is, the average American is much richer. Yes. And people say, well, no, there's purchasing power parity means that things are cheaper. You know, in another country, so twelve thousand dollars buys you more. Like for example, I, I live in Mongolia. The average income is a few hundred dollars a month. It's between two hundred and fifty and four hundred dollars a month. Okay. Now, if you were living on that in the states, you would just be dead, right? Correct. So clearly, that money goes further in Mongolia than it does in America. So that's called purchasing power parity. And people always go, "Oh, you're not considering purchasing power." Yeah, I am considering purchasing power parity. Here, here's how I consider it: an American earns seventy thousand. A Chinese person earns twelve thousand. Okay. They go to their local restaurant. Mm -hmm. The Chinese can afford his local restaurant. The American can afford his local res restaurant. Mm -hmm. That's purchasing power parity. 
the Chinese goes for a haircut, the American goes for a haircut. My haircut in my town, my in my village on Long Island, a haircut is like thirty dollars, right? Okay. For me, for a man. I can't imagine what it is for ladies. <laughs> uh in in China, I go for a haircut and it's like five dollars, right? And right. I'm probably being overpaid. Um being overcharged. So purchasing power parity, yes, their money goes further. However, that Chinese guy and that American guy both go to Euro Disney. Yeah. They gotta pay the same price. Right. And the American has more money. That Chinese guy and that American guy want to order a toy- Toyota car. Not only do they both have to pay in nominal dollars, like real dollars, right? but that car is also more expensive in China than it is in America because of tariffs. That American guy thinks for a minute, for like a second, he goes, you know, I, you know maybe my kid would benefit from going to college overseas. Mm-hmm. Then he says, you know what? America is really good. I'll send him to, to the uh, university here in America. I'll send him to a good university here. Okay. The Chinese guy goes, our universities are horrible. I want to send my kid to university in the U.S. or Australia or New Zealand. He now has to pay in real dollars. Right. So, and, and it's going to cost three times the tuition. So if the average tuition in America is 60000 this guy's going to be paying you know, close to a hundred, probably a hundred, hundred forty thousand dollars a year, all in. Send his kid to America, probably one hundred fifty, hundred sixty by the time he pays for the department and everything like that. He's earning twelve thousand dollars a year, and he has to pay one hundred sixty thousand dollars a year for his kid's education. So don't tell me that that Chinese guy with twelve thousand is on par with the American guy on seventy thousand. Right. Yeah. Don't tell me that. You know. And then if we go away from China. Any, any other country in Asia, as soon as you're earning anything, like as soon as you're middle class, as soon as you have any uh, disposable income left after you paid your you know, food and, and living, right? As soon as you reach that level, lower middle class, you immediately want to put your kid in private school because the government school is so horrible. Right. And in America, even rich people, their kids go to uh, public school because the public schools are good enough. Yeah, obviously they're better in rich neighborhoods, right? Yeah. Because they come from property taxes, but they're good enough that we send our kids, even rich people send their kids to public school. Right. You now, know, this was back when me and you went to school. They're, they're changing now, which is pissing me off. They're not, you know, but, but, but still. <laughs> but that's ideological, right? That's right. ideological. It's not Correct. Of, exactly. Of but the education yeah. level of what you learn, two plus two and, and stuff like that is definitely better. Because, um, you know, in regard, and even sometimes the amount of kids in the class is definitely better than I bet than it is over right. Right. in, in right. China, right? If, you, know, you have 20 kids or 30 kids in a class compared to 100 <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. China. I mean, so, so, you know, I was a headmaster of a school um, in, in China at one point and uh, I did a, uh, an analysis because the question, the question always comes up in America too. Like when you go, this, this, this school is better or that school is better. Well, what do you mean better? What do you, what, what exactly are you measuring? Or um, there's this thing called the PISA, which is the international rankings of schools in China always beats the U.S. in this thing. But I was a headmaster in China. I'm like, these schools are horrible. Like, what? what's better? What, you know, if I had a choice, there's no way I would put my kid in this school versus my local school on Long Island, right? So I looked into it. So it turns out, well, PISA, um, it turns out that only the best schools in Shanghai take this exam, and then they take the average score in America, and they compare it to the best school in Shanghai. So the average school in America had lower math scores in the best school in Shanghai. Yeah, but the best school in Shanghai is not indicative of all of China, Correct. right? That's number one. 
Number two, as a headmaster, I had to write papers on why one school or another was considered better. And I found out that there's, let's say, four or five big organizations that rank schools and they said how they rank them, what they look at. And I put all these things together, like 30 things, right? So like one of the things was how many foreign languages does your school offer, right? Mm -hmm. So like I grew up in Tennessee, we only had three. We had German, French, and Spanish. Well, the best school in New York City has something like 30 foreign languages, right? You could learn like Farsi or something at high school. Like that's <laughs> impressive. right? And another one was how many layers of, of math do you offer? Okay, I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. area right here, and the kids are telling me that in their local high school, they have three levels of calculus. Yeah, that that's pretty good, because I think we had, back when I went to school, I think we had one of, of right. calculus, right? Right, and yeah. He, and even then, it was like, because I did algebra, of course, you, know, you started like pre-algebra or something, I don't remember. Um, but then you go to algebra, and then, I can't remember what the next one was, but at that point, I only needed two years of math, and I had my two, so I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Exactly. And, then, and then they put me in right. geometry and um, I hated the geometry teacher. And he said, you're going to use this someday. And now all I do with truck with freight is look at CAD programs of geometry. I'm like, you bastard. Anyway, well, you, you and I have a similar uh, learning disability, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm horribly dyslexic. Yes. And, and just, um, geometry, I walk into geometry the first day of geometry. The teacher goes, picture a plane in space. Oh, Lord. And I can't. Right. And I can't. And every lesson built from there. There's a picture of a plane in space, and now we have points on the plane, and there's a line. That, and I can't picture a plane in space, and so I failed geometry. And then just like you, I eventually, you know, I became, number one, I was infantry <laughs> in, the, in the military, so I had to read maps. And so I had to use Cartesian coordinates and all of this. And and, 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 it, and I learned it, and it made sense in that context, but I couldn't learn it in geometry. Yeah, class. I was the same way, because I, I have dysgraphia, so my brain doesn't connect to my fingers sometimes, so my spelling's horrible. But as I'm taking, yeah. they put me in that, in geometry, and I didn't want to do, I actually wanted to do sports science. I wanted to do uh, sports science, and they wouldn't let me go into that course, so they put me in geometry. So I'm like, well, I'm not doing this then. I want to go in this. So, yeah, so, so like you said that you had pre-algebra. So like one of the, when we look at schools, we're comparing is this school better than that school? One of the things we look at is at what level do they have pre-algebra? And there's actually school systems where it's at seventh grade. They might have pre-algebra, might already have algebra in eighth grade. So they right. get to high school and they're starting already with, you know, algebra two, geometry, calculus. So if you're going to get to calculus three in high school, you have to get, you know, those other things out of the way right. early. They, they, there might even be school systems where you got pre-algebra in sixth grade. So anyway, the point is I was looking at all these indicators and on all the indicators, except for the PISA exam, American schools, which are is so much better than Chinese schools. There's no comparison. For one thing, in New York, we have the Regents Diploma and in Maryland, they have Regents. Uh, I don't think they call it Regents, but it's a similar idea. So you mm -hmm. get like a higher diploma. You follow certain you know courses. This is before there was ever AP or anything like that. Right. And so one of the things we look at like in the regions of New York, you have to do certain uh, science experiments that you have to do. They have to be signed off on by a um, regions uh, certified teacher, and you have to present this mm -hmm. for your graduation. And there's like chemistry ones, biology one, whatever. So in China, no high schools, no public high schools have chemistry labs or biology labs or physics labs. Wow. Um, and then another thing we looked at was after school programs. Now, in America, we have a very sophisticated system of sports competition where yeah. if you join the swim team or you join the track team or whatever, you compete for a spot on the team, you get on the team, you have 
mandatory practices five days a week with a, with a real coach. You compete on a circuit. It's all scheduled all the way up to the nationals and so forth. Almost no country in the world has that system. Uh, almost no country, really. Uh, China, Russia, they don't have it. Uh, uh, and uh, other Europe, whatever, they just don't have it. And they'll say to you, oh, we have sports in high school. And what they mean is once a year they have field day. They might have some sort of a something where you learn to swim. Like, they don't have this. Right. And so right away, well, I want my kid to be in that. It, schools don't have theaters. They don't have a theater. They don't have an auditorium. In most right. of China, there's no auditorium. There's no theater. They don't have a school orchestra. They don't have a band. They don't, not the way that we do, where it's like scheduled practices and training and performances and all that. They might have a school band in the sense that they found some kids that could play instruments. They said, listen, uh, Xi Jinping is coming tomorrow. Could you, you know, play right. Hail to the Xi for the Chinese equivalent, right? So, American schools is so much better, even better than Europe. And, and, and people find these videos of like the worst school in America, you know, or mm-hmm. the teacher getting beat up by the students or something. And I'm like, yeah, yes, that happens too. But on average, we have the best schools in the yeah, world. Yeah, I think it goes back to like we just talked about like the, like we, we talked a little bit about the show. And, and I was starting to – I told you I was starting to get upset because when I took my oath and I, I joined the Coast Guard, which is the Department of – Homeland Security, thank you, um, is basically, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I took an oath and I took the oath to protect the Constitution, right? And, you know, and to me, it's that base system. It doesn't matter if I like the president. It doesn't matter right. if I don't like this right. guy. I like this guy I like this. I have to protect the base system that allows the president to be Yes, and allows this representative to represent me, and allows yes. this mayor to to you know to run my city. This mayor who I disagree with. The mayor who I disagree with. I have to still yeah. protect that system. Now, do I have to yes. vote for him? Hell no. But I yes. still have to protect the system to allow me to vote for him. And I think that our school system, the base system, is good. Is it exploited yeah. in ways where bad things happen? Yeah, of course it does, because the same thing. But we still have to protect the base system of the school system, which yes. I think we have one of the best base systems of school, right? If, yes. if, if you were to let teachers just, hey, let the teachers run this and keep the politicians out, it'd be, it'd be game. It's like having, you know, your non-commissioned officers run things sometimes, right? Let's, like the good teachers, like you, let's say, yeah. right? The good teachers, the ones I agree with. And, and then the parents are also getting involved, but the parents are getting involved. Like that base system where we're not just, yeah. we're teaching the core of learning, not just the core of, of ideologies. And that's a really important point, too, is that in America, we don't have a federal curriculum, and we're one of the few countries that doesn't. And so when I went to school in Germany, that was what they would always say to me is, well, we have a federal standard. You don't have a federal standard in America. How could that be good? And I said, well, it's good because the local community gets to you know, have the school board, and they get to pick what, what the kids are going to study. And, um, and, of course, now the system's so polarized Right. So if you don't like what the other school board is doing, then you get angry. But at the end of the day, this is the system, right? You, you, you can influence your school board. The other parents can influence their school board. And we can have schools that teach prayer in school and schools that don't teach prayer in school and schools Correct. that you know, do different things. But I do think, like I said, and even that core, and that's why I try to, uh, people argue with me, and they're like, oh, all schools suck, teachers suck. But the core system of being able to vote in members of your school board, to be able to pick those people and, to, and parents to be able to get involved and say, hey, I want to be involved is a good core system. I agree. That, that it's, is, a strength. it's a strength and weakness. It's like everything else in our system. Correct. The freedom that we have, 
is both a strength and weakness. Right. And 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 I think this is the, the aspect I, or one of the things I want to bring about is it's look look freedom of speech, freedom of all the, the everything that we have is both good and bad, right? Freedom of speech right, can right, be both right. good or bad, but it's how we responsibly use that. Like how we look at the school and we responsibly use the school system to better educate the kids, we can do it if we want. It's right. not, right. nope, you're going to do it this way. But yeah, but that's not what, sorry. And, and I think that that's yep. an aspect that I think is forgotten, that the core system, can we get back to the core system and take a look at that and see right. where we went wrong yeah, our because our, our system, you know, again, the, the PISA score, all the PISA is, that's the international rankings for schools. Mm -hmm. And China always beats us, and the U.S. only comes out like 18th or whatever in the world, or 28th in the world, and everybody makes fun. All it measures, it, it's a, uh, a math test. I know it's like three three things. You know, it's, like, it's, it's like math, whatever, science. And it's the average school in the U.S., not the best school. And in Germany, yeah, for example. All the kids don't go to high school in Germany. Correct. They only, the kids that go to the gymnasium, they only compare the gymnasium to America. Gymnasium is the college-bound high school. They have three levels of high school. One of them is, is for the college-bound. That's not everybody. That right. already has a weeding effect, right? Like 30, and of course now, a higher percentage of kids go to gymnasium than went, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But you're still eliminating like the lower 30% of kids immediately just by taking gymnasium and comparing it to high school. So that's not even a fair comparison because we have all our kids go to high school. Right. You know, and or get, so our, our high school really angry with that. And then when I point at things like, okay, show me your school band, show me your orchestra, show me your, your, your ballet program, show me your sports program, show me your science labs. And they just don't have these things. And then, and then they go, well, those things aren't important. I'm like, well, it's important to me. Right. And it actually is. I mean, and this is some of the stuff too. It's like, I mean, I played sports my whole life. I played hockey and things like that. And it's, it's still a well-rounding of what you don't learn in school. You, you, I believe you learn in, you know, participating in different types of sports, you, you know, right. and, and team, you know, team things and, and stuff like that. But it's, it, it, it's the same thing. I, I get yelled at all the time. I believe mandatory two-year military, right? If you're, yeah. if, to be, to be honest, I believe that you should be one that military is also going to teach you um, chain of command and responsibility and, you know, hopefully what you're, you know, defending your country. But I just think that there's just been a loss in regards to you got realizing how good we have it and why we have it and why we have it is the base of the constitution. Like I don't care, yeah. you know, and the base of the school system in which we've built, right. Education. Yes. And that was also a big thing with the, you know, founding fathers, they were education, right. Yes. You know, and, and the base of different religious, you know, having, yeah. Hey, you can't get involved in, you know, sorry, government, stay out of my religion. Right. And yeah. the base to allow you to, to form it to the best of your ability is I think it's just forgotten. It's just all these people were bad. And it's like, you have no idea. You have no yeah, clue. No. And it's your totally base. And, and the best part is one of the re the rights you get to, to bash these people and, and verbally, of course, not physically, is because of a right you have that isn't allowed. Try bashing Putin in Russia. Let me see how that works right, out. Right, Go right, on the right, street right. China, yeah, yep. and start screaming and front on so stand on your soapbox in and, and start screaming in the streets of you know Russia and stuff how bad they are. And let me know how that works out. Stand in the streets of another country and criticize the Ayatollah. <laughs> Yeah. And let's see how that works out for you. But yeah, see how that works out for you. Yeah. And I, I want to roll now into um 
the summit with the Belt Road Initiative? Because I think this is yeah. this is and, and this is a good segue because this is I get this all the time in regards to BRICS is going to take over the world, their money, and this Belt Road Initiative is going to end society as we know it, and and they're going to be the the and and I don't think they understand that it's it's a couple things. One thing that I I, I just talked on one of my shows is Russia and China are having a horrible time economy, like horrible time with their money right now, right? They're not doing well. And for them to, all these other countries like India and Brazil to just say, yeah, I'll join up with your money and we'll put it all together and form one currency, even though yours two are not doing so well. Well, that's not a good thing, right? Right, 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 right. And I think even when they're like the Belt Road Initiative is going to take over and all the trade is going to be that way. Unfortunately, the minute you mention the word China, Every, it's still a fear. I don't want to trust everything in China because China can turn everything off. So where is that kind of like, where is the Belt Road Initiative? Where are they kind of at with their summit and why the Taliban was there, you said, but are they representing Afghanistan? Like, are they just representing themselves? Like, who are they representing? Okay. So, uh, okay. So let's take the first point. So is, is BRICS or Belt and Road going to take over the earth? So, <laughs> all right. When we look at, when we look at um, the EU, let's yeah. take the EU. The EU is the largest, most successful, transnational, supranational organization that has ever existed. And we say supranational because it, it means that they have their own courts, their own institutions, their currency, which supersedes, in some cases, the... Uh, currency or the or the rules or the laws of a particular country, mm-hmm. right? So they don't dictate internal policy, but in terms of um, they have their own courts that, that that manage the relationships and the trade and uh, with uh, within the bloc. That is the only example of this on the earth right now. They have their own parliament, right? There's an EU parliament. There's a a I believe she's called the president of the parliament. Um, they're, uh, they have their courts. Of course, they have the currency. They have the euro. It did not require everyone to go on the euro, but most of them are on the euro. Right. All right. So that's that's an example of what a supranational organization looks like. Now, let's go to the UN. The UN is an organization. It's, it's international. It's transnational. You have multi-nations uh, in there, almost all the nations of the world. Almost, almost a circular definition. If you are considered a country, then you are in the UN. And how, how do you get in the UN? You have to be considered a country by the UN. Uh, but the UN has the institutions. They, 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 they have courts. They have the WHO. They have uh, uh, you know WTO, right? the World Trade Organization. All these things are under the UN. Now, they don't have an enforcement mechanism, really, uh, if you violate the rules, they'll write a very strongly worded letter. And I've read some of those letters. They're, they're very strongly worded. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but so that's like the second tier almost because the EU is a lot more powerful than that, right? Right. In, in a way, with, within its zone. Then we have, have the UN. So now you get to ASEAN. ASEAN, I, I'm going to put ASEAN third. ASEAN is the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, uh, several nations in Southeast Asia, they release the, the visa uh, rules that, that they can travel more freely between the countries. It's a little easier to trade. They don't have a free trade agreement. Uh, they don't have an army. They don't have a currency. They don't have courts. They don't have institutions. 
Um, they don't, I believe they may not even have a permanent headquarters building. I don't think that they have, a, they might, I might be wrong on that, but they don't have any institutions. And, and, and one of the points about the, the EU, why I call it what the, the most successful supranational, is that they have absolutely free immigration between the countries. You can move from Germany to Greece and get a job, assuming, you know, Greece had jobs. Right. Uh, I guess you, you can go to a Greek museum and see jobs from when they used to have jobs. But, uh, yeah, you can move from one country to another and work and live and, and, and study and whatever without any kind of – so so that's why I call that the, the most effective supranational organization. So now China wants to rival the U.S.-led world order, international order, right? Because at the end of the day, WHO – I'm sorry, the U.N. is a U.S.-led institution, um, although – Arguably, each one country, one vote, but the U.S. really right. does have a lot more influence than other countries. Um, and and the, the other one I'm going to throw in this basket is NATO. Now, NATO doesn't have free trade. They don't have free immigration uh, and all this. They do have a headquarters. They do have permanent buildings. Uh, it is a U.S.-led uh, defense alignment. Right. And it has its own, uh, I don't know if they call it a constitution, its own document, which mm -hmm. says basically these, this is what NATO's mission is. This is what NATO does. And in that is that if a NATO member is attacked, the other NATO members are essentially obligated to defend them. Right. So this is why when Putin invaded Ukraine, when people were saying, why doesn't NATO do anything? Well, Ukraine's not a NATO member. We're not obligated to defend Ukraine. But we're, why, this is why you hear fears that, well, what if NATO invades? I'm sorry, what if, uh, what if the Ukraine war spills over into Poland or if Russia invades Poland? Okay, then we're obligated. Then right. NATO is obligated to defend Poland because Poland is a NATO member. All right, so, so these are the big groupings that exist in the world that, that, that are the most significant. So now we go to China. China goes, well, we don't like NATO because it's U.S.-led. We don't like uh, the U.N. because it's U.S.-led. We're going to create an alternative for countries that don't want to be under the thumb of the U.S. Right. <laughs> so the countries that prefer to be under the thumb of China. Yeah. So you have the BRICS grouping. So BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, South Africa. It is just a grouping. It is literally just a grouping. They don't have any institutions except that they have a BRICS development bank, which is located in China. Right. And funded mostly by China. And the, the irony is that it's mostly a U.S. dollar-backed uh, institution. They don't have courts. They don't have a free trade agreement between these no. countries. They have, they have some essay meetings talk about trade. Correct. But if you look, if you look at the patterns, if you look at patterns in the EU, the countries are all trading with each other. Right. You look at patterns within BRICS, it's enabling trade with China. Yeah, and, and that's – so now is it – and I categorize it technically as a trade pact because I believe that's what originally was set up for, right? To be just, hey, we're going to trade with each other. Um, but it, like you said, it's only basically like, hey, we're all going to buy from China. Yeah. <laughs> Which we were already yeah, buying we're from China. Buy sell to China. China yeah. actually does have a, um, a deficit with some of the countries in BRICS, you know, because, because that's the reason that they're in BRICS. China's buying, you know, energy from Russia, for example. Right. And, and so it was more like, hey, we just, just promise me that you'll sell me stuff if somebody else cuts me off. It's, it, right. it's basically what it, 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 and what it was. It's like, 
it's like a co-op that you don't have to go there, but hey, they just happen to have something. I'll buy it from them. I mean, they right. Might- and I don't know that, that you're going to see significant increases in trade between them. Like I don't know that South Africa is trading a lot with Brazil, or that Ethiopia now is joining, you know, BRICS, and, and they're going to have tons of trade with, you know, whatever some other member like India or something. You know. So what? What? In your opinion, obviously, studying this stuff, what is the big deal for all these other countries to want to be a part of BRICS then? There is a feeling that countries don't want to be, they don't want to be in a U.S.-led world order, uh, international order, in the sense that they don't want U.S. hegemony. Mm, okay. Okay, so so if you're, if you're, Brazil, and he said, hey, you know, we have over 200 million people now. Right. We're a huge country. Mm-hmm. We should be allowed to make our own decisions irrespective of what the U.S. says. Right. Right. And, 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 and there is logic in that. And there's wisdom in that. However, it becomes very complicated because what they do want, what all these India, India is now the biggest country in the world. Yes. India says, why should we not be a world leader? Why should we not be making decisions? Why should we be under the thumb of the U.S.? And and India is one of these countries that has a bit of a bad taste in their mouth from having been a British colony for so many years. We don't want to trade Britain for America. Right. You know, know, as, as our colonizer, right? The problem is, though, that the American, the stated goal, we go back to what, it, what we said, you know, at the beginning mm-hmm. of this broadcast, we're talking about John F. Kennedy and his inaugural speech, and we're going to be the beacon on the hill, support any friend, oppose any foe to promote liberty and democracy in the world. And as corny as that is, and as much as you'll point at anything that we've ever done that you say is contrary to that, at the end of the day, the U.S. created an international world order where that is possible, where people yeah. can be democracies and they can have free trade and we can have uh, the rule of law. You know, the UN, the IMF, the World Bank, Bretton Woods, which are the four most, and, and the GATT, which became the WTO, right? Let's call those the five most important globalization instruments, institutions created, were all created by the United States. Yeah. So do you think it's just kind of something where they're like, look, we saw what happened with sanctions with Russia, right? Like it or not. So maybe just, hey, it's it's not, how much does it cost to get in? It's free? Okay, well then we'll sign up. And just in case, if anything were to happen, you are now my backup store, right? I'm mostly yeah, buying yeah. from this store, but if I have to start buying from this one, because, and I try to explain this in regards to currency, and, and this is some of the stuff I've learned from you is, the first thing, correct me if I'm wrong on this, right? And and, and this, this show could go on for hours. I could talk to you for hours. So correct me if I'm wrong. So people are like, no fiat money has ever, uh, all of them fail. But isn't the pound still technically a fiat money? And it's still a reserve currency? All, all, all money in existence today is fiat. There is no gold now reserve anywhere. Right, now reserve currency has always failed. But technically the pound is still a fiat. That was still a reserve currency, right? The pound is still technically yeah. a reserve currency. Yeah. So, and that's been around. Yeah, there's five, five, the five international reserve currencies are uh, the dollar, the euro, the yuan, the yen, and the pound. Okay. So that's, that's one I did want to correct that technically not all of them have failed. We still have no. 320 or I don't even know how long years, but they, they still have a reserve currency in regards to the pound. Now, yes. the other aspect I try to explain to people is 
is one, and people drive me insane, is if you're going to form a reserve currency to go against the United States reserve currency and back it by gold and silver, well, we have the most gold and silver. Right, and people right. and people are like, "Well, it's there's nothing in there." Have you been to Fort Knox? Well, no. Have you? No, you know what I'm saying? No, I haven't. But now, do I believe we 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 confiscated some? Sure, I believe we took some from Japan when we took them over. I believe that you know there's possible you know there's I believe that yeah we probably did that right. But we also hold other people's gold, and we've also had we can mine our own gold. Like we could easily start mining gold and have. Why would you back a currency to go against a country when that country has the most? of the gold like we have the most gold right. it's like yeah go ahead and do a gold back currency we have the most but also in, in it's regard in, in regards to i explain this to people is when you when you start to do a currency if i have to go to war and it's backed by gold what do i do because i now i i, I mean you you can't just make the money so right. what do you do right and then the other aspect is i'm when trade, and this is the biggest one people I don't think understand, and maybe maybe you can explain this, is if I'm going to trade with somebody, they're going to have to hold, like Russia and China. Russia is holding some Chinese money in their banks. because, yes. And then when they want to buy oil, something from China, they're using that money. And then China is also, but if there's a trade imbalance where China is only buying 30% and Russia is buying 50%, Somebody's not holding enough money <laughs> to cover right, those right, costs. Right, so, right. Or somebody's holding too much. Or somebody's holding too much. Yeah. So yes. you still have to go to a reserve currency now because I I don't need all that money of yours. That's I need correct. but and no other country's gonna give me anything for the ruble. I'm just using that. Am I wrong? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. You're spot on, man. You're on fire. Okay. So when I try to explain that BRICS isn't this is a complicated process. It's not just like we're gonna do it, let's do it. It's like right. you you can't just have a BRICS currency without banks to back it up, a central right. banking system. Who's the one that's basically going to be front, you know, because, you know, let's it'd probably be China. Who's the one that's going to be throwing most of their economy into this, into this system? It's not just like, let's turn this on. To, it, this could take years to put into play. Am I correct? Yeah. If ever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if it's even possible, but it's not possible. Yeah, and and that's what I'm saying. So the amount <laughs> right. of things that they right. have to do to put yeah. this in play, and I hear this all the time that people are just like, bricks, bricks, bricks is going to do this, bricks is going to do that. It's like, you don't understand what you're talking about. Like, let's take this step by step. And I've, I've tried to explain this with money, with Monopoly money and apples and oranges to people. I've literally put apples and oranges on the table and said, okay, I only need two of your oranges, but you need five of my apples Right now, right. what do we do? Okay, right. because it, right. It, so yeah, so exactly. So you would exchange, and somebody's left holding, you know, two extra things, right? Right, and yeah. it's like, but nobody else will take your those apples, so you can right. only wait right. until I need them. <laughs> and right. I'm like, I, I don't. And to me, I think that's one of the biggest people don't. Understand. And then here's here's something I want to ask too, and, and and I've gone to people and said, let me explain something to you because. I want to make sure I'm right on this also. I, okay, you live across the street from a bank that was just bought out and is fully run by the CCP. It is now 100% Chinese bank, okay, in America, in America. Uh, and it's right across the street. I mean, you literally can just walk, it's so close. It's great, right? 
Would you put all of your money in a fully run Chinese <laughs> CCP bank that's right across the street that's giving out free donuts and anything you want? Would you still do it? And everybody's that's like, like, that's like, that's like my, uh, my thing about when, when, when people say, you know, how horrible America is or, or how terrible our healthcare is or anything. I go, okay, you got diagnosed with some disease from Mars. <laughs> Nobody you know, knows what it is. Would you A, go to Ethiopia, the best hospital in Ethiopia, right. the best hospital in the U.S., the best, you know, oh, where would you go? John Hopkins, here I come. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and, and so do countries have to feel the same way? They're not going to trust right. China with all of their right. money. It would. It, it, am I wrong in this? I mean, India doesn't so, like Yeah, that. yeah, you're absolutely right. And then, but this goes back to something you said earlier, which is you're asking, but why then would people go for BRICS and BRI and in yeah. this China-led? That's part of it, though. Like what you said a minute ago, we brought sanctions against Russia and Iran, and we froze their assets, and we and we froze their gold. And so this did scare people because the whole reason why they gave their money to the American bank and not the Chinese bank, like in the example you had. Was because they don't want somebody controlling it. So they knew that in America, you know, we have freedom and, you know, I hate you, but I'm not going to, um, you know, freeze your money, right? Like, right. But now we did that. So now they're a little bit scared. They're like, uh, I don't know if America is mm. as safe a bet as it was before. But then, so this is what I was saying. So these guys are really conflicted. On the one hand, I want to be out from under the thumb of America, so, but my only option is China. And then China doesn't offer this free system is offered under the American-led world order. Like, as right. bad as the UN is or the WHO or any of these things, and I don't like it, it's still better than having China control everything. Yeah. So, okay, so where's China with the Belt Road Initiative, and, and what what happened at this summit? Because I, I watched a little bit also um, with Putin there. Now, Putin, like you said, he had no problem with driving, heading on over to China under a yeah. warrant. <laughs> <laughs> and China's, you know, he wasn't arrested. Um, and even the Taliban. Oh, 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 and there's a little story that was on page like 37 of the news two weeks ago. <laughs> I reported it, nobody else did. So, uh, Azerbaijan yeah. attacked the Armenian. Uh, uh, there's an Armenian disputed zone inside of Azerbaijan, right? And most of the Christians live there. So they get attacked by Azerbaijan. So they finally just gave up. They couldn't defend it anymore. And they all retreated to um, to Armenia. That enclave was supposed to have been protected under the SCO, which is the Russia-led security cooperation organization. Okay. And Russia has failed to protect the Armenians in Azerbaijan. So Azerbaijan said that they're considering withdrawing. I'm sorry. Armenia said they're considering withdrawing from the Russia-led uh, 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 security organization. Mm. Armenia has signed to join the International Court of Justice, which has an open warrant on Vladimir Putin. <laughs> so they're and that's they're, that's a part of the EU. That's a part of the EU, right? They're not. They're not. So they're 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 in Europe. I okay. mean, sort of. Well, I guess it's it, it's that it's, it's that weird area where like. Central Asia, I think they call it Middle Asia, but yeah, it's uh, they're they're close, right? And uh, they might want to join the EU at some point. They okay. were more aligned with Russia before, but now they are signaling that they don't like Russia. They're signaling that they do want to get closer to the EU. They had their first joint training exercises with the American Army. Ooh. 
and are signing uh, a, a defense uh, cooperation with the U.S. They said that they may pull out an SCO, but the thing is they're joining the International Court of Justice, which means they would have to arrest Vladimir Putin if he sets foot on their territory. So I'm assuming this is the end of their association with Russia. Yeah. They're now going to be closer with the U.S. Maybe they'll apply for EU membership and all that. So it's just really interesting how this thing is lining. So, so now we have this meeting in China, the Belt and Road Forum mm -hmm. in China, and then um, Putin goes to this thing. And it's the first major country he has visited since uh, the uh, warrant, yeah. And what was interesting, BRICS had a military exercise in South Africa a few months ago. And there was a big debate about whether or not Putin was going to go because South Africa is technically obligated to arrest him. They are a signatory. They right. should arrest him if he sets foot on the territory. The opposition party in South Africa said, yeah, we, we absolutely, yes, we would arrest Putin, but of course they're not in power. The party that's actually in power was like, well, you know, warrants, Putin, this, that, the other thing, it rained yesterday. You know, they're just giving this like vague, they basically were, you know, basically signaling they're not going to do it if they don't want to admit it. Anyway, Putin didn't go to that meeting, but Putin did go to the uh, Belt and Road Forum, and of course China didn't arrest him, and, uh, and they didn't arrest the Taliban. No, I, and you said the Taliban one. So who yeah. who are they technically representing? So under the Chinese constitution, under Chinese law, let's say, because I'm not sure that it's a constitution, but it's a law, China rec officially recognizes whoever is holding the reins of a government, China assumes to be the lawful government of that country. Okay. Because China has a policy of non-interference, which sounds kind of nice. A non-interference, that's an internal affair. Let other countries decide if they want to have prayer in school, if they want to have taxes, if they right. want to have this, that, the other. That's up to them. It's internal. We, we, we don't dictate what countries do inside. Right. But with that, it means that China officially recognized whoever's holding the reins of government is the official government. And this is why China winds up trading with and partnering with dictators and just horrible people because they are the people that are in charge. Yeah. So they're representing. So says, well, the Taliban is clearly in charge of, of Afghanistan. You can't make a case that they are not in charge of Afghanistan. Correct. Therefore, they're the official. So China has not officially recognized the Taliban, but China is the only country that has appointed an official ambassador to the Taliban in Kabul. Wow. And they actually... China invited the Taliban to this uh, Belt and Road Forum, and it's the first international, major international event that has. Uh, invited the Taliban. Because we actually, I remember covering a story on this that um, back when I, uh, we, we pulled out of Afghanistan horribly. Um, and, but China was the first to come in and say, we, we, we go ahead and we recognize them as, and then the next day. Yeah, they didn't recognize, no, it's that they, they, they came in and they said that they would trade with them. They would trade with them. They I, have I not officially recognized yeah, because I, I the, no, it was the Taliban is Afghanistan. I thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so China was the first country to oh to to normalize their trade, right? And continue giving aid to the Taliban in Afghanistan. They didn't exactly recognize. They haven't exactly recognized the Taliban yet. 
Okay. Sure. Yeah, because then yeah. the next day, because uh, people were flipping out that, okay, fine. After fighting him for 20 years, we recognized, you know, the United States basically says, okay, fine, too. That's, you know, and that turned into a huge ordeal because people are like, hey, we just fought him for 20 years. Now we're saying it's okay that they're there. I'm confused. Um, and, and you know, when we pull, finally pull out of uh, Afghanistan. Again, so in regards to the Belt Road Initiative, how... Now, this has been going on since, I believe, well, he announced it, I believe, in 2013 or 2011. Right. Okay. So, since 2013, it was announced. It might have been going, you know, 2011 or whatever. Um, but how? where is it at today? Because there's a, everything I'm reading is there's a lot of people not paying. And COVID did yeah. not help them at all because they yeah. couldn't send people into work because, like you've talked about before, We'll we'll train people to say, okay, now you build these bridges and you build this and you do this and here's some money. Where China says, no, we'll do it all. We'll build everything right. and we're going to take the land and we're going to take everything else if you don't pay us. So China's kind of it's hurting now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So so the uh, the West will say that China has this debt trap diplomacy. So they go to this country and they go, listen, you should build a highway between these two cities. It'll increase your GDP by X. We'll loan you the money at interest to build a highway mm -hmm. and we'll build it for you and we'll buy all the construction equipment from China and uh, materials, and whatever. And, um, you'll repay the loan through the increased GDP that's going to be generated by building this highway. And, you know, Chinese economists, the, some of the best economists in the world, <laughs> my, my classmates, uh, would uh, would would prove that uh, that this highway is going to increase the GDP of that country enough to they pay off the loan. Okay, and then of course they build the highway. It doesn't increase the GDP. The country still owes the debt. Meanwhile, China China immediately got most of the money back. So they loan it to the country. Then the country uses it to buy the materials from China and build the road. So China immediately gets the money back. The loan is still outstanding. The country has to pay the the loan back, and now they can't afford to do it. Now, so for the first however many years of the Belt and Road, we, you know, analysts that were going, oh, it's debt trap diplomacy. China's trapping these guys in debt. China was doing predatory lending. Um, there's different ways to look at that. Right. In some cases, like in Cambodia, where I work pretty frequently, there is now a road from Phnom Penh to Siem Reap. We didn't have that before. The, the old road was, you know, it took like six hours to drive and it was mm -hmm. a horrible experience. Now it's, you know, a few hours and it's nice and they have nice bus services. It really has helped a lot, right? right? It's already crumbling because it was built with the worst, cheapest materials ever. It's still better than what they had. So you could argue now they have a road. They didn't. But now Cambodia is in debt up to their eyeballs to China and is now hosting a Chinese military base and a naval base. Right. And, and this is, I think this is one of the other things that people need to understand is that through this trade, like the first trade is, like I said, when I, when I talk about stuff. So the first trade that's built by roads back long, long time ago was the, the trade of knowledge, right? So you didn't even have to trade goods. You could go over there and say, well, I, I know how to do that a quicker way. You want to see, right? Next thing you know, they're doing something better. But that's one of the aspects that I, I believe we in, in West, when we do give money and we do send training is we're giving, we're teaching them how to fish, not just giving them a fish, mm -hmm. right? And with with China going over there and moving military bases over there, they might not because people complain all the time that you know we have so many all these military bases that are all over the country. Well, everything China does, like if China moves people and opens up a seed factory down here and it's a CCP, guess what? 
that's a military. It's it's a mil. It, they all right, have right, to right. respond. They might not be a fighting military where they're walking around with guns, but I'm telling you right now, the stuff that they're gathering, the intel, the data, the stuff that you know, that's why they build things next to military bases. That's a military. So, as China even helps these countries and drops, like you said, roads or bridges, they're gonna even their construction people are technically intel military people. When you say, well, yeah, and 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 again, so I want to look at the at the empirical data, right? So it's not my opinion. Well, the empirical data is that these companies very often are state-owned companies. So right. that means they have a direct. I could draw a direct corollary. To the government, or they're funded by state-owned banks. So I can draw a direct corollary to the government, to the Communist Party of China. Also, as a, as a shipping guy, you know that China decided that their merchant vessels needed to be wider for some reason. Yeah. And coincidentally, they're like the same width as the naval vessels, which means that these ports they're building in the other countries can accommodate uh, PLA Navy. Correct. So, well. yeah. So, and that's the other aspect to it. And what people understand, because I talked about time, like, well, our Navy is, you know, blue water Navy and stuff like that. And I said, listen, China, the, the, as, as ex-Coast Guard, there's more of a fear of, you don't have to just have ships out there um, destroying things. Like, just slowing down the flow of goods causes a bullwhip effect, right? The second thing is, is all these container ships, if, if any of these container ships had what they call, it's, a, it's called, a, uh, there's containers that have rockets in them. I'd have to pull up what they, and they actually have that. Now I'm a Coast Guard ship and I see a hundred Chinese container ships go, delivering goods. I don't know which one might have rockets, if any. But now I might right. have to search all of them or I might have to be careful of all of them. And it's, so it's, this is the stuff that they do. They're, it, it's, it's called... <sighs> Hybrid warfare, um, unrestricted warfare was written by two colonels, uh, and and this is some of the stuff that they do. But some of the Belt Road Initiative stuff they're doing is, would you feel that they know that the country's not going to be able to pay them back? But it's yeah, well, so that's the argument. So, so so the Western argument is you absolutely know these countries can't pay you back, and the thing is, China charges a higher interest rate than the Paris Club or the IMF or the World Bank or, or the U.S. or Japan. They 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 charge much higher interest rate. So the only reason these countries are borrowing from China is because the traditional lenders won't lend them money because they're so heavily in debt. So it's the same concept as like, why do you go to a loan shark, right? I mean, if you had a choice, if you're going to take a home mortgage, do you go to the bank for a home mortgage or do you go to some guy, you know, on the corner wearing a big hat, right? And then the answer is, well, you only go to that guy because no traditional lender will lend to you. So that's the, that's the, uh, the Western argument. The Austrian economics argument, because I'm an Austrian economist, and the Austrian argument is that loan sharks serve a very important role in society because they make credit available to people who need credit. They can't get it elsewhere. And it's your choice if you borrow or not, but obviously they must be desperate, otherwise they wouldn't be borrowing. So, so that's the Austrian argument. But, but yeah. yeah, country China definitely loans to countries that it knows cannot repay, and then they wind up in debt. I see that, and it gives them an opportunity to have things that will benefit their country. Exactly. But the problem is, exactly. is that you can't complain about our thumb while you're under their thumb, right? You can't, exactly. say, you, you know, it doesn't really matter exactly. whose thumb you're under; it's a thumb. And and it, I, I just think, like I said, when I looked at the Belt Road Initiative, I've done a lot of research in that, and I, I understand what they're doing with their ports, what they're doing with positioning the different ports in Greece and stuff like this um, at key locations. To be honest, and like I said, it does, yeah, yeah, you helped me on that Greece. A Greece report that I did. 
Yeah. Uh, I was doing a report on, mm-hmm. on how Greece suddenly became really important and we were pumping all this defense money in there. And uh, you helped me out on that because we needed information about the ships and yeah, how and, that was, and all that. And like I said, you don't have to, what people don't understand is if I, you don't have to attack ships. It's, this is why the South China, South China Sea is so, you know, important. So much traffic goes through there that if it becomes territorial waters of China where they can say, hey, this is my territorial waters. I can stop all right. these ships. I can search all these ships. Hey, I'm, I'll get to you in a month. You'll have to sit there a month until I, until I, you know, search you. It slows the flow here in the United States of goods. And this is why we're now moving. I, we can do a whole other story about reshoring. But yep. in regards to Putin being there as the guest of honor, what do you think that was more of him, them basically saying, hey, we're, you know, look at us, look at us. We're, we're on the same yeah. team. I mean, what do you kind of look as that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, sure. There's a certain amount of that, you know, we're going to do, you don't want us to do this and we're going to do it, Yeah, you know, and rubbing it in your back. But, but I, I think it was more substantive than show. I think it was that China and Russia are, you know, tightening their alliance even more. And China's definitely showing, though, that they're not going to fall in line with the international order. They're going to support Putin. And, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, and, you know, basically, I, I look at what China's doing here, creating the rogues gallery. I always think of, like, those Batman cartoons, <laughs> you know, just the, the, that awesome rogues gallery of bad yeah. guys, you know, the Mad Hatter and I might the Joker. To, and the yeah, you know what? Anyway, that's like China's collecting the Taliban. <laughs> The Taliban, Russia, Iran, yeah. you know, are, are on the China side. And then the U.S. has, like, all the richest, nicest countries. You know? Yeah. I mean, you definitely start to see the divide, though, right? You can start to see yeah. these countries separating into, you know, access powers, per se, if you want to yeah. call them that. Um, yeah. You know. And part, of that, and part of that is an unintended consequence of U.S. policy. Because when we isolate countries economically, when we put sanctions on them and tell them they can't use the SWIFT and they can't use dollars and whatever. Well, they still have to trade. Otherwise they're going to die. Right. So then they wind up trading with each other. So that's where you wind up with like Iran and Russia trading with, with China. So in a way it's an unintended consequence of our actions. Yeah. And and I think that that's, like I said, and it's, it's a difficult geopolitics is difficult because you don't want to apply too much pressure, but you don't want to apply not enough. And then the same thing, it's like, I've talked about this before. If you pull, if you don't defend some countries, you don't do stuff like you create a vacuum. Like, so if, if a big portion of trade and outsourcing to other countries is the fact that here, look at our system, you'll make money, South Korea, North Korea, right? Right, like two different right, differences. right, right, right. But if you don't, so when, when I say outsourcing just isn't about cheap labor, it's about spreading capitalism to other countries so they can be profitable and then maybe buy, eventually buy from us goods, right? Right. So, but if you don't do that and you pull back from these countries, it creates a vacuum where communism is going to, I mean, if, if we're not supporting them, somebody else is going to support them. And that could be Russia or China or socialism yeah, or communism. Yeah. And that vacuum gets filled because of our pullback. And I think that's where trade also allows people to say, Hey, you're not just trading goods. You know, you're, you got a pretty good system there, that capitalism thing. Maybe we should try that out. And, and that was yeah. another thing in regards to trade and people don't think about that. So, but I, I think I do want to wrap this one up, but, don't go sure. anywhere because I have a couple other shows I think you'll you'd enjoy doing that I I thought of why we were doing this one. Um, All right. So so I'm gonna go ahead and end this one here. I want to thank the doctor. 
for coming on. I'm going to bring him on more often. I'm going to force him to come on because I know he likes doing it. He just needs someone to, to help him, you know, do stuff like this. And I've got two two shows you guys are going to love. Um, so let me talk to him about that. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Um, as always, stay safe. Sage out. <laughs>